2: You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
1: Good evening, wherever well, we you are in the world listening to this radio broadcast. Stevie B's Media Production presents the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R Butler. And this radio show is being broadcast from Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio in the great state of North Carolina with my co-host Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Dr. Frank Washington Jr. from the state of Florida, Stanley Hubbard from the state of Indiana, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Steve Cordle from the state of Indiana, I'm sorry, Illinois, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida, Yusuf Ford from the state of Indiana, and Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just grateful for the privilege to bring you a program where we as Christians and members of the Churches of Christ can share our faith and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give us a call to the live show at 713 955 0508 or you go to the blog talk radio website and listen to the show live there and there are over 1700 live shows on that website at this hour and you will consistently find this radio show on pages 1 through 4 of that website. You'll see it on page one of the website tonight. What a blessing. If you have any questions or comments or any of my co-hosts on this radio broadcast, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve one zero zero nine at yahoo.com or you can call Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio at nine one zero four nine one six four zero five. Now again this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ and if you need any assistance in locating the congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now folks Get out your Bibles and stand along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show.
2: You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
1: Before we go into our program this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, the Father, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts, that we are on this broadcast and we're prepared now to send a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, well, we pray that you will be with our co-host on the show this evening, Glenn McMillian, and you support as they break into our listeners the bread of life. And also, as our co-host, you support answers the questions that are in the hearts of so many. We just pray that you would bless them and their families that support their efforts, that they may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will bless our listeners who are tuning in this broadcast via Blog Talk Radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well, that they may consider their eternal stance before you, and that their hearts may be pricked, And it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We're just so grateful for his precious sacrifice on Calvary's cross. For without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. while even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak, and we often fall short of thy will. For we pray that you'll continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives, and if we have been faithful until death. Father we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all.
2: Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
1: In the first segment of the broadcast, my co-host, Glenn McMillian, he serves with the Waterview Church of Christ in Richardson, Texas. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And in the second segment, we have a question from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout It Out that we'll be posing to my co-host, Yusuf Ford. He serves as the evangelist for the Livingstone Church of Christ there in Indianapolis, Indiana. He'll be answering our question in that segment. And to close out the show, my co-host, Yusuf Ford, is putting in double duty on the show this evening. He'll be bringing us a lesson from the word of God this evening as well. So open up your Bibles now and open your minds, and let's have a great show after the break. that's what you hear be that of my co host, Lynn McMillian. Enjoy the show.
2: You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. <laughs>
3: Send the light, send the, the light. light, yeah, 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 send the light. There's a call coming ringing, all the rest leads away, send
4: the light, come on and stand the light, send the light.
3: There are souls to rescue, there are souls to say send the light. Show the show. Yeah. Show the show. Come on to the line Double left and All so, the Let it shine More of love on the light come on and send the light let us gather joys for a crown of love on, in the light come on and send the light send the light oh the blessed gospel light let us shine
2: You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the
1: proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now my co-host, Glenn McMillian.
0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome once again to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Uh, Before I get started tonight, I feel the need to uh, put out a small disclaimer. the topic that I'm going to be dealing with tonight is going to rub certain people the wrong way, and um, there is no intent to do that. I'm not going after anyone personally uh, with the the comments that I'm going to make tonight, but uh, we are going to be addressing addressing a a problem that is uh, coming up in the church and and does need to be addressed generally. So. Uh, again, if if, if if it feels like I'm coming after you, attacking you personally with some of the things I'm saying, be assured uh, that I am not doing that. That being said, if any of these shoes fit, feel free to wear them. As we get into what we're going to be talking about tonight, let, let's do a little bit of of setting the table, as it were. Um, the The job of An evangelist Of the gospel of Christ Is is already a difficult job If I'm going to be in a conversation With someone uh, About Coming to, to know God And to know Christ We've got to overcome A lot of hurdles In order for that conversation to even happen First of all we have to find someone who is open to having the conversation. And in today's day and age, in polite American society, religion is one of the things you don't talk about. We don't talk about politics. We don't talk about religion. It's just not polite conversation to bring those things up. So even having a conversation about religion is a difficult uh, thing to get to happen uh, on a, on a consistent basis. So once we're in a conversation about religion, I, I then have to say that I believe in a God. And, of course, the person who I'm engaging with is going to say, well, there's no empirical evidence for God. I don't really understand uh, why one should believe in a God, but you know, I can't disprove that there is a God, so therefore maybe if you make a compelling argument, i would be willing to listen uh, to what you have to say. And that's the best case scenario, obviously. Um, so, and then once we get them to engage on the fact that there is a God, we also say that we believe that this God created the world and I, you can optionally include the in six days part. So that, may or may not cause even further complications to this uh, to this discussion so again the person that you're engaging is going to say well there's no evidence that a god or a supernatural event happened to create the world scientists are pretty sure they know how the world at least the planet was formed maybe but there's a lot of question about the beginning of things before the the the, uh, creation of the planet before we don't know how all this stuff got here, so maybe there's a, an opening there. Maybe there's something that you can give me uh, that will help me understand that. So, And then we move past that, that particular hurdle. And then we have to, to tell them about, and we also believe that Jesus was the son of God and that he was resurrected after he died for our sins. And again, this is a difficult thing for, for people to, to understand. So people don't rise from the dead. That's not a thing that happens. So we have to say in this, that generally speaking, yes, that's true. People don't rise from the dead. But in this case, we can make a, a compelling argument for why we believe that this one particular person rose from the dead. And if I can get you to understand that, if I can get you to believe that, if I can get you to act, engage with me on that, then maybe the rest of this stuff uh, becomes – more understandable. Everything sort of falls into place. As you can see, as a, as a gospel preacher, we have this, this, this stack of things that we need to get people to believe and to understand in order for us to engage with them on spiritual matters. And, and that, again, for a person who is not churched, not uh, inclined uh, spiritually, at least in the way that we understand it, those are very big hurdles for them to, to overcome, and that, and that is already a difficult task. And then we have people who want to add to that stack of things and come along with, with additional things to add to them, up to and including, and we also
5: believe that the earth is flat.
0: didn't just add to the sack, you just you poured kerosene over the sack and lit it on fire.
5: This is how did we get here?
0: We naively believed when the internet became a thing, that we were entering into an information age that having all of humanity's knowledge at your fingertips to be able to answer any question at any time from anywhere would be a boon to society, that, that we would have no more unanswered questions. We, everyone would have access to all the information they would need to make informed and rational decisions. It was supposed to be a giant leap forward for mankind this information age that we were embarking on. And, of course, we know now that that's not how (laughs) things turned out. Um, For every website out there that is dedicated to giving you factual information, there are 10 the 100 websites that are dedicated to giving you absolute nonsense. And so the information age quickly devolves into the misinformation age. And people have been so siloed in their consumption of media that, that the algorithms on social media are designed not to give you the best information or the most edifying information. They're they're designed to give you the information that you particularly want uh, to view or want to engage with, uh, which may or may not be (laughs) necessarily uh, to your benefit. Add to that the, the block button, which is the most dangerous button on social media. You are allowed to completely isolate yourself from all opposing, ideas, or anyone who may or may deign to challenge you in any way. Uh, and you are able to create for yourself an information bubble where you only hear the things you want to hear, and you only believe the things that you hear from the people that you want to hear them from. I remember a passage from scripture. <laughs> But Paul predicted something like this, that in the latter days, people would face after their own teachers. You know the
5: verse. I don't have to.
0: So when we are in what has happened and the problem that we're seeing now, and that has been pointed out by a variety uh, of sources, that there are is a rise of people, and especially Christians, unfortunately, uh, or people who call themselves Christians, clinging to what would what we would call conspiracy theories. But that it, that it's it's more than that. So, but for lack of a better term, these these erroneous uh, ideas that have. Uh, bubbled up and, and caused a, a a select group of people to coalesce around them and it has become an, an impenetrable vacuum uh, of 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 thought and, and and the the flat earth thing is something that I would normally say just, you know, just ignore it, right? It, it's, it's obviously ridiculous. It's, uh, it, it, the, the earth is not flat. The earth is round. Any fourth grader who's been paying attention in school can prove that the earth is round uh, in in five seconds. It's not a, it's not a thing that uh, is a serious
5: Uh, question to be asked, but there are people on the internet,
0: people that you probably know are at, at least engaged with in some way, who actually believe that they are for sweat. And That in and of itself is a a problem, but not necessarily a problem for Christianity, except for when they talk about the reason that they believe that that the earth is flat, they say that they're getting that from Scripture. They're getting that from the Bible and that this is something that should be – they'll claim it is, but if it isn't, it should be a common belief amongst all Christians and they're not doing this in a vacuum, right? They they are inside their information bubble, or at least they believe they are. And they are exchanging these ideas back and forth. But while the bubble can be impenetrable from people by people from the outside, that doesn't mean it's opaque, right? Everybody standing outside this bubble can see what's going on. They they know that this is happening. They hear uh, what these people are saying, and the ideas that they are promulgating leak out of that bubble into the general space. And when a person who I am trying to, to teach the gospel, trying to get them to, to believe in a God, believe in a higher power, believe in Jesus as, as the son of God, and you, you add to that, these, those, things, those are the things that are already difficult to believe, difficult to, to grasp, difficult to, to understand. You're going to add on to, on to that something that is impossible. Not just impossible, it's, it's verifiably false. What does that
5: say? About
0: Christians in general, because it's it's not going to be just limited to the person who brings up this information. The, the person who says, "I believe that the earth is flat," that 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 is not going to just be attached to them. That's going to be attached to the entire movement. This is a group of people who
5: believe that the earth is flat. So,
0: what are we to do? Because this is not a, a as fun and as easy as it would be to just rebuke and correct uh, the people who believe that the Earth is flat. Um, that's not a good use of our time because number one, they're not listening to this this show um, because I'm not within their information bubble, and number two, um, we all know that. <laughs> we all know that the Earth is not flat. We all know that this is a ridiculous idea. But this ridiculous idea and others like it are are coming out of these these information holes. And we as Christians need to know how to address these things. Uh in in again, not in a specific way. We're not we don't have time <laughs> tonight to deal with with it in a very in a specific way, but we we were going to deal with it in a, in a more general way, and hopefully that'll give us the ability uh, to narrow down to specific things uh, in our in our own uh, personal <laughs> interactions with with people. So we should start by going to where they're going to justify. Uh, this idea. How how are they understanding their thing and unique, for lack of a better term, approaches to scripture, uh, and how is that uh, causing them to to come to these conclusions um, that are obviously uh, not correct? And and part of it is they're going to start with, of course, uh, the classic scriptures, let let God be true and every man liar, right? When they say that, what they they mean is I'm going to believe what I believe and believe what God says, um, or at least what I think God says, to the exclusion of all other evidence. There's a, a, a famous trap question that uh skeptics, atheists like to ask Christians when they're going into these uh, types of discussions. And this is a really good trap trap question because it doesn't even sound like a trap when you when you hear it. And in fact it's so innocuous that it's been published as is. On surveys and, and other uh, supposedly uh, neutral uh, studies of, of Christians in order to get gauge their understanding are, are their their opinions on things related to the bible and that question is: do you take the Bible literally? Now, when you hear that question, it doesn't, like, again, it doesn't sound like a trap, and that's why it's a good good trap. Good traps don't look like traps. Um, But it is a trap because what they're expecting, or at least what they mean when they ask that question, do you as a Christian believe every single word in in Scripture as it literally is stated in Scripture? And... As the Christian, if you are not savvy about what's going on and you ha- and you haven't really studied it your Bible, your temptation is to say yes, which draws you into a discussion where you have to defend every symbolic and uh, uh, and figurative thing in Scripture as being literally true, and you're gonna get bogged down in trying to backtrack
5: from that position.
0: If you say otherwise though, if you if you say that it's not liberal, then it sounds to yourself that you are saying that you don't actually believe the things that the Bible says. And therefore, you know, you've already put yourself in a weak position with regards to engaging. The problem is there are too many people who will walk right into that, say that I literally believe take the Bible to be literal, and will actually try to literally apply every single thing that they see in Scripture regardless of the context. And that's how we end up with flat earthers and other things. But the savvy Christian, the person the, the person who's actually done even a casual study of scripture will know that there are that the Bible is not all one thing, number one. It is a collection of 66 books by forty authors, more or less, over the course of sixteen hundred years or so. There are
5: different audiences, different writers, different purposes for
0: writing, different environments in which these writings were were written in, that all have to be taken into consideration. So we don't take scripture literally in, in the strictest sense of that terminology, but we do take scripture seriously. We are seriously looking at every word in Scripture, trying to figure out, does this mean – is this meant to be taken literally? Is this meant to be taken figuratively? How do I understand this in the context in, in which it was written? How do I apply it in the current context? All of those things have to be put together in order to get a proper understanding of what Scripture is talking about. And then, once you've established that, you can co- go back to let God be true in every man, oh, every man life. And that, again, that's, that's not talking about things outside of the, the realm of Scripture. Scripture is designed to give us information regarding the greater things, the spiritual things, the moral things. Those kinds of things. That that scripture is telling us that when God says something is right or wrong, when God says something is immoral, is moral or immoral, that is the standard. What the world says is the standard of morality. The world says is the standard of righteousness does not factor in. It's what it, God creates the standard of righteousness. It's not talking about you know, whether or not the earth is flat. You thought that scripture said, and it. It, it isn't. But even if that's what you think it is, that's not. That doesn't. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what, what that scripture is trying to get you to understand. So. So let's let's move back from that and, uh, and 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 understand what are the things that need to be put together in order to get a proper understanding of scripture. A proper idea of what of what the uh, scripture is talking about, so that we can avoid coming to erroneous conclusions. So, what is what is the nature of faith? What is if if that's not what faith is, then then what is faith? And, and when we ask that question, we are, we immediately go to Hebrews eleven chapter one, and you know, faith is the Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And again, the, the common uh, misunderstanding of that, that verse is that, see, the fact that we have faith in this, the fact that we collectively believe this, uh, is the evidence that it is true. So we don't have to provide any other types of evidence outside of Scripture uh, because we have Scripture and we have written, we believe it. Therefore, that is evidence and and I've addressed this before and i and I'll say it again that that's that's not <laughs> what that verse means number one and number two uh that's that's not how evidence works that's that's just that's just not how that 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 works at all um so a, a better translation, or at least a better understanding. So that I I, I found this in Young's literal translation. There's a, a couple couple of other uh, translations that that render it a little bit better, um, but this one is is sufficient for what we're trying to do. It says, "And faith is of things hoped, a confidence, and of matters not seen, a conviction. It's not that it is evidence in and of itself. It is we have." We are confident in the things that we're hoping for. We are convicted of the things that we don't see. We, we are solid in our, in our belief in these things, even though we don't actually see them happening yet. And that belief, of course, is based not on just because we believe it. It's based on evidence that we have seen prior. Again, I've gone into this in in my lesson on the resurrection. Uh, You should go back and and listen to that because that is a a very good uh, framework for for having these uh, conversations with people who are are skeptics. They they need evidence, and that evidence has to come from sources that we don't usually use outside of Scripture. Um, Because just saying the Bible says it is not evidence to a person who doesn't believe the Bible. They need something something more than that. But uh, that that's tangent. But when we when we're saying that there is that this is evidence, or at least that there's a thing that we believe, and therefore that makes it true, we we obviously know that that's not true because there are people who believe. The exact opposite of what we believe is that evidence for them? Well, then, then, evidence, then the word evidence there is meaningless. There's there not, if, if I believe it, therefore it's true, and they believe something different, and that that's their faith, then that's true for them. Then either we have two conf- conflicting truths, which means that there's a contradiction, or there is, uh, each person gets to have their
5: own truth, which means there is no truth. So,
0: what this, what is this verse actually saying? That there are we have to we have confidence in the things that we haven't received yet. But that what is that confidence based on? That confidence is based on things the things that we have seen. We have to remember that the, the the writers of the Bible, for them, the things that we take on faith, for lack of a better term were not matters of faith to them. They were matters of experience. They were matters of fact. The The idea of, okay, let's go to 1 John chapter 1, First John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked on and touched with our hands concerning the word of life.
5: It was a matter of facts for them. They had seen it. They had heard it. They had touched the Savior. They knew
0: what they were saying was true. As a matter of fact, it was not a matter of faith—at least not in the way that we use the term today. They had seen the Lord, risen Lord after the resurrection. Go so to First Corinthians chapter fifteen. And we know this verse. So this is this is something we. We quote almost every Sunday. And now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preach to you, and which you receive, which you also stand, by which you are saved, if you hold f- firmly to the word which I preach to you, unless you have believed in, in vain. For I hand it down to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised for the third day according to the Scriptures. And we usually stop there, but that's not where that sentence stops. Verse 5, and that he also appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, and he appeared after that to more than 500 brothers and sisters, all at one time, most of whom remain until now, even though some have fallen asleep. And he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all to us, as one as one untitled Lord, he appeared to me also. So again, not a matter of faith, a matter of fact. Paul says, we know that Jesus was risen from the dead because we all saw him after he rose from the dead. He lists, he names names of people who were alive and could see it. Implicates at, at, at least 500 people, any of whom could, could stand up and say, no, that didn't actually happen. But he boldly says that this is hap- that this happened. We all saw this. Is, this is something that we know to be true, and then we have faith. Going back to the Hebrew writer, of the things that we haven't received, based on what we have seen. So that's where faith, the nature of faith, is. It's not we are building this this thing up because. What is it then if
5: it's not based on evidence, so you have
0: two different uh, problems there uh with your conception of of god if you're if you're not basing it on solid foundations we have the the god of the gaps idea, which is Anything that we can't understand, we we don't quite know how to to explain. That that's where God lives and then and we explain it using God. And for a lot of uh, you know, for a lot of times in, in our existence as human beings, that that kind of worked, right? Before we had the ability to really investigate a lot of things, uh, the The idea that God did it and, and God just makes it happen um, made sense. And for, you know, when we were children, it made sense. When, when humanity as a whole had less uh, understanding, it made sense. The problem with that is that as we learn and as we understand more things, if that's What God is, is that the things that I don't understand are God. The more I understand what happens to God, the greater our knowledge, the smaller our God is. So if you only use God to explain the things that you don't get, the more you get, you're making it, you make God smaller until he has no place to be. And that's why we see so many people, uh, especially the people in my age bracket and younger, leaving this the hot concept of Christianity because they believed that, well, God was the stuff that we couldn't understand, but now we understand pretty much everything, at, at least as far as they're concerned. Therefore, what is God? Pretty much, well, then the other thing is what these, these flat earthers and the other people are doing, where, where God is, you know, what... God is what they conceive God to be, and He is that regardless of what what else He's going on, regardless of the evidence, even opposed to reality, such as the fact that where when you get to the point of being a flat earther, you you believe it that the Earth is flat in the face of all evidence and reality itself. Doesn't hold a, a candle to what you think Scripture says. Which in, you know, so you have the flat earthers who will say that the earth is flat, even though that's not there. Are the King James only people who will believe in unicorns because there there are unicorns in the King James Bible, and regardless of the fact that that's an animal that doesn't exist, uh, they will defend it to to their last breath. Yeah. Your understanding of God, again, becomes the limitation that God is in. Not, you know, one of them is 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 affected by reality in that it shrinks as reality grows. The other is not affected by reality, which means that you're so divorced from reality that you don't have any understanding uh, or any way of reconciling the God you believe in and the real world. What are we to do about it? And how do we have a a nature of faith and an understanding of God that is not susceptible to either of those two logical flaws? And I think that the the best way of, of dealing with this, again, is to go back to understanding that God is the God of this universe. He has created all of these things. He has set all of these rules and laws in motion. He has given us everything that we have. And he is the, the, the architect and, and, and the, the builder of it. So everything that is true, everything that is observable, and the things that are not, are all Part of what God is doing and, and the way that God works. So, the fact that the Earth is round is not a challenge to God or not a, a a something that we have to wrestle with. It just is. It's true. Therefore, that's that's something that God ordained to to be, and and we understand that that's how God made it. We don't always understand everything about it i i am not going to sit here and say that I can explain Genesis one in a way that everybody's going to be happy with my explanation <laughs> that that's not uh what I'm here to do today I'm here to i i- I wrestle with all of these things the same way you do. the the questions that I had put forward at the beginning of this uh lesson are not questions that only atheists wrestle with. <laughs> They're questions that the serious Christian wrestles with all the time, because they are difficult, and and there are things about them that we don't understand, and there are challenges presented uh, when we go looking for evidence uh, that make it very difficult for us to uh, always reconcile with things. But if we if our conception of God is somehow damaged by learning something that is objectively true. Something is wrong with our conception of God. Because remember, we go back to Philippians chapter eight, uh, chapter four, verse eight. Says, "Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence or anything worthy of praise, think on these things." The first thing is whatever is true. So things that are true are glorifying to God, not things that we speculate on or things that we have to go through all of these uh, difficult, uh, mysterious sources to find out. The only way you arrive at some of these conclusions is that you've learned to avoid... Uh, all sources of actual truth in favor of whoever's going to tell you what you want to hear and this this is not a commendable thing amongst Christians Christians have to be able to wrestle with the fact that there are things that are true that are going to challenge our conception of God and that is, if, if, if something is true but challenges our conception of God, then there's a problem with our conception of God. There's not there's not a,
5: everything that, that is
0: true, God is a God of truth. God is a God of, and God is the one who built this reality. So the things that are true, the things that are real, the things that are reality are the things of God. But, again, the Bible isn't here to explain the scientific universe, and and I think that's where a lot of people get hung up is that they're trying to answer those kinds of questions using Scripture, and Scripture wasn't designed to answer those questions. Scripture tells us God created the world and leaves it at that. That's all you need to understand in order to get to where Scripture is trying to get, we've to take it. Scripture is trying to teach, teach us how to get to heaven. The details about how he created this world, not important to how do I get to heaven. So when you're trying to answer those questions and spend a lot of time dealing with those questions and then you know, even more time trying to deal with what comes next, uh the eschatology of it all. That's that's not what 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 the Bible is really written for, and that and that's not the message that the Bible is trying to give us. It's trying to tell us this is how you're going to make it to the destination we want to go, which is
5: to be with God.
0: All the other stuff is details. And and it's not not that it's unimportant, but it is less important than what has been revealed to us in Scripture. And what has been revealed to us, there's a reason why the things that have been revealed to us have been revealed to us, and the things that haven't, haven't. Because the things that have been revealed are important and the things that haven't aren't. And you just have to be comfortable with that. I know it's it's frustrating because we we have this book that's from God, and we say that it has all the answers. Yeah, you know, the, there's an asterisk right behind that, right? It has all the answers about the questions that it was written to address, which is how do I have a relationship with God? How do I make heaven my eternal home? It has the answers to those questions. It doesn't have the answers to your math homework because The Bible wasn't written to answer your math homework. It was written to teach us how to get to heaven. So the nature of faith is to understand what the Bible is trying to tell us, the evidence that the Bible is giving us for God, how to seek out other pieces of evidence that will give us a better understanding of of who God is and then integrate that into our, our, our knowledge of God. So, oh, I'm way over to it. So,
5: what do, what do we have to say to our conspiracy theory believing brethren?
0: If you have the opportunity and if they are willing to listen, you know, the Bible is written to rebuke and correct and train those types of people. And And if you can and if they will listen to you, feel free. I, I wouldn't recommend trying to do that on Facebook. It's not a very conducive uh, place to have those kinds of discussions. Um, but if you can talk to them in person and, and really sit down with them and let them know that you actually care for them and, and you are are doing it out of love, then uh, by all means, please try to bring them back into the knowledge of sanity and good sense. Um, but if you can't, if you don't have that kind of access, um, you, you're going to have to do a lot of reproving in terms of teaching people that this is not exactly what Christians actually believe, that those people who are teaching that call themselves Christians, claim to be Christians, claim to be part of our movement, they are not. Uh, they are teaching False doctrine, and they are to be ignored, um, and and this is the true uh, message of Christ. Does that make our job harder? Yes, it does. Uh, are we going to have to jump that hurdle? <laughs> uh, yeah, especially if you're 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 doing evangelism, you're doing teaching among the uh, non-religiously affiliated crowds. That's one of the things that they're going to try to hang on you. Uh, and you just got to know that it's coming and, and be able to address it. So hopefully I've, I've done the job of preparing you for, <laughs> for that. If you have other questions or if you really do need to get an understanding of how to prove that the earth is round, I mean, sure, contact me, contact our show. And, and we would be happy to point you in the right direction. If you have any other conspiracy theories that you're um, – that you know people are getting attached to, they're all in the same boat. Um, we pray for those people, and hopefully they will uh, be affected and, 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 and understand the the issues that they're they're creating for the rest of us. Um, and after, and other than that, uh, again, the lesson is yours. Hopefully, that this has been uh, edifying to you and and has given you the tools that you need to begin to uh, have this conversation in your uh, everyday walk. So, God bless you. Keep listening to the Gospel Lights Radio Show.
2: You're listening to the Gospel Lights Radio
5: Show.
3: I know, Lord. I know the the He'll take care. He'll take care. Take care of me. Oh yeah. You see way we, we, we call on you oh, And you step yeah. in right Time oh, yeah. I know the Lord, know the Lord. Hey, He'll take care He'll take care Take care of me oh, yeah. When we will Lord I'm trying True. Every day True. To walk In love Right away, my, my,
4: my,
3: it gets hard, hard on this road. Took care of you.
2: You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out, question.
6: Good evening, Stevie B. And thank you for allowing me to have this opportunity to be on your show tonight and answer the question for this evening. That's a very good question. Um, So let me just go back and share that verse with those of you who are just joining us. Why did the apostle Paul mention in First Corinthians? I'll just add the other part of that scripture to it. First um, Corinthians, chapter eleven, verse fourteen. Doth not even nature self teach uh, teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is a is given for covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such compassion custom, neither in the churches of God. So basically for me, I guess there's two other questions that need to be answered, which are basically, I guess the same questions, were the Nazarites wrong for wearing long hair? And the second would be, is it a sin today for a man to have long hair? answer the second question first, no. (laughs) No, long hair is not a sin. Paul states in verse 16, but if a man had seemed to be contentious, we have no such custom neither in the church of God. So if you are a male member of the church and you have long hair, don't worry. (laughs) It's not a problem. But if you go out looking for a job, that might be problematic Historically, though, at this point in time, rituals were changing for the Israelites in the religious world. There was a new world religion emerging called Christianity. Its customs or the practices would be uh, somewhat similar to what they had been uh, observing or used to, but different in many other aspects. I always remember different events of my early Christian life. And i try to sort of include those things. I grew up in the 70s, and if you were around in those days, if you recall, we wore a lot of polyester leisure suits, daishikis, bell-bottoms, and afros. And if you don't know what an afro is, oh well, where have you been? Just think of Richard Roundtree or Shaft or Pam Greer. Most of you guys know her, uh, who, who played the original Foxy Brown. And so, you know, we wore a lot of those types of things in the 70s, and our hair was extremely uh, extremely long, and those, those Michael Jackson hair uh, afros. And I remember and there was an older brother in the church who would go around the congregation, and he would literally put his finger in the hair of the brothers to measure the length. And mind you, in my opinion, that was a little overboard. And I can laugh at, I, I laugh about it now, but I wasn't too thrilled about it back in the days, you know, in the 70s. Brothers in the church were so extreme in many respects, um, almost like in the case here uh, with the Corinthian church. But Paul was trying to make sense of a practical teaching while converting Jewish brethren into Christian, uh, Christians who were coming out of paganism and worship um, those types of strange gods, and they were coming into Christianity, and needed to convert, and so they were seeing a lot of things in these sort of non-Jewish uh, places uh, in the in the Middle East or in that region, and so he's saying to them, as I am to you, there's no scriptural um, there's no scripture teaching that says long hair is wrong, and nor are we obligated to live under the New or the Old Testament rules, rituals, and ceremonies of worship. We don't take Nazarite vows in the church in this age today. No one takes Nazarite vows, even in the Christian church in Jerusalem, as far as I'm concerned, and I've I've heard, I've talked to brothers over there on many occasions. That being said, let me explain to you why the Holy Spirit addressed the issue of long hair to begin with. Now think about the people that are involved here. The Corinthians were extremists in every way, in every regard. When you read that book, you see that. You see how extreme they were. Listen to some of the things that Paul said in the conversation with this uh, congregation. Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols, even as you were led. Idols, And idol worship apparently was a huge problem among these people. And so in chapter 14, verse uh, about 17 through 26-ish in that area, he said, how is it then, brother? When you come together, every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, let all things be done into edifying. And as we read the book of Corinthians, we realize they had a problem. They had problem after problem coping with change and con- and, and conversion, often confused over simple uh, concepts. So Paul would have to break things down, to dumb it down to the pardon that expression, but make it as simple and as easy to understood as he possibly could. So being Gentiles, Paul, being a Jew, and this widespread acceptance of Judaism. He lent it it lent itself to a comparison of the Jewish faith, and so he was trying to explain to them this idea uh, of hair, um, and, and sort of I guess it came up in conversation and break it down to them how it applied then and how it applied in his time. Now think about what he's saying here in simple terms: hair length helps us to distinguish the two sexes God created and the different roles. Those sexes have within the family and, so, and social structure, uh, both then and now. So the um, the basic discussion initially was, if you remember, in First Corinthians chapter eleven, as I, I recall, in verse two uh, and following, with regard to coverings, he used the form uh, the form of the words cover, covered, uncovered. And coverings. And he was not referring to a bandana, or a wig, or a hat. He was referring to hair. As part of nature itself, he was saying nature itself teaches that it's wrong for a man to have long hair. I don't know what Paul meant exactly when he said that because I, I, I've i never had a conversation. Of course, none of us did with Paul. But just thinking of things in the spiritual sense, things in the nature, in natural sense, and how we see things today, it took my mind uh, immediately to Daniel chapter 4, and reading from verse 33, it says, The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till, the hairs were grown like, till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. And if you and I had been around at that time walking through the field and we saw the emperor out there in the field grazing, wouldn't we have said something like, good grief, wow, he looks like a wild man. Because nature doesn't allow us to look like that. Think about us today. We clean ourselves up, we shave, we wash, we bathe. We wear clean clothes, we present ourselves in a decent fashion. So what does this have to do with long hair? For me, everything, at least it did in this case. Now, modern Orthodox Jews continue traditions with beards, uh, side locks for men and uh, uh females cropping their head and using coverings. And this goes to the teaching of the uh, the, the Levites in Leviticus chapter 19, uh, where God was sort of instructing the children of Israel how he didn't want to, them to desecrate their bodies and he wanted to, them to present themselves before him in a certain manner. But as the New Testament goes, Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, Matthew 28, verse 19. So length of hair was not among those commandments. Hopefully this answers the question. Thank you, Brother Stevie, for allowing me to share my thoughts. And God bless you all tonight. Be well.
2: Shout it out, question. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
5: With all the talk,
3: what is your goal? With all the talk,
4: what is your goal?
3: With all the talk, what is your goal? Now that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that that heaven is my goal. No matter what they're saying, yeah. call me and I'll go. I'll tell you I'm not saying. Lord, I hear the streets are the so pure purest gold. The breath of God blows gently through my soul. The pearly gates shine, sparkles on. Lord, I give my all to you Please make my dreams come true Heaven is my goal That's the song you say for I believe God knows I'll never change my mind The promise said that heaven is a fairy tale It's silly to believe that's what they told me, yeah. This world is all the heaven we are gone again. But here's no perfect peace. That's why I'm free. That's why I'll be free. Cloud, I'm free. That's why I'm free. When he comes in the cloud, I'm gonna be ready. When he comes in the cloud, I'll be ready. I'm gonna be ready when he comes back. Now I'll be ready. Heaven is my goal. No matter what they're saying. Call me and I'll go. I tell you I'm not playing. Eternal life is for you if you will believe. Another loves you too, just like me. Yeah. Over him today, this world is not your home. You're just passing through, just like me. Heaven's my home. That's the spot if they want me. I believe God knows I'll never change my mind, no Heaven is my goal No matter what they're saying Call me and I'll go I'll tell you I'm not saying Heaven, is my, heaven is my goal Let's talk if they want you know to say Heaven is my goal Change my mind now With all the Heaven's mind now With all the Romance
2: Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. listening to the Gospel Light radio show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus
5: Christ.
6: Good evening Stevie B, and thank you once again for the privilege of sharing a few words with your audience tonight. I hope everyone is doing well and God has provided for all of your needs and you're in a good place spiritually speaking. As mentioned earlier, our discussion tonight is about justice and maybe a little bit of karma. The short definition of justice is people getting what they deserve, whether good or bad, and whether we personally like the outcome or not. Before the crucifixion of Jesus, he appeared before judgment seats, judgment seat of the Sanhedrin. Caiaphas, Pilate, and Herod. And if you and I had never read this story before, it would almost you would almost think it's a story about recent events in the United States. Something along the lines of blank lives matter. <laughs> Fill in the blank. When it comes to justice in the broadest sense, or the concept that individuals are treated in a manner that is equitable and fair, the common people usually take a hit, Um, the innocent are railroaded through the system, and most poor people are considered guilty to proven innocent. And there was no exception with Jesus. For example, he was born poor. Luke chapter two, verse seven and twenty two kind of alludes to that. He was the son of a carpenter, mark chapter six, verse three, in order to pay his taxes one time he sent the disciples down to the to a water hole and told them to pull out a fish and open his mouth and you would find money in his to, to pay their taxes so he was not by any he was not a man of means you know he was not rich. He struggled just like we do. He worked a physical and challenging job. Um, His father was a carpenter. He was also a tent maker. And he slept on the ground. So one might consider him to be sort of homeless because he said in Matthew chapter 8 verse 20, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have not where to lay his head. So it seemed like to me he wanted to live a life that's that was similar to ours so that he could understand what we would have to endure each day. But unfortunately, he acquired a real opportunity at the end of his life. And, you know, you consider all that he had done and all the people he had helped, the people who had fed thousands, the people he had healed, there was no number, the people he taught the conversations, the places he went, and just that opportunity to rub shoulders with him. After all that, he was unappreciated, just like you or I. Nonetheless, you know, he was a great man with a great personality. And I didn't know him personally, but from what I've read, he had a kind and gentle spirit. He was just a nice guy. Jesus was just a nice man. He was the only one, according to the scriptures, created on this planet that came into this world that never made a single mistake. He never broke a single commandment. But like so many, he too was accused of wrongdoing, arrested, tried, judged, and then sentenced. The difference is, He was a judge himself of a higher order and we'll get back to that in just a little bit. Matthew chapter 25 verse 31 says Jesus was, would come to sit on the throne of glory of which he's now sitting. He's sitting on that throne as we speak. So you could tell by the vibes. That you read in the New Testament um, books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just looking at his interaction with the spiritual leaders that they really envied him. They really didn't like him. And during the peak of his popularity, they contrived a plan to stop him. The Bible says, Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people into the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas, this guy and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and not ki- and, and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Matthew 26, verse 3-5. Through so, throughout the course of his ministry, they were constantly trying to trip him up. Constantly trying to trap him using different elements of the law of Moses. And they could never do it. And he would always escape. So, they just needed a little inside help. And for whatever the reason, one of the Lord's so-called friends saw an opportunity to make some fast cash and had a conversation with the conspirators. And after he had made this deal to turn Jesus over for a small fortune and the authorities who were already looking for reasons to remove him, they agreed. So Caiaphas was the ringleader now I want you to understand this. This is what really, uh, this is what really disappointed me. I mean, reading this story, knowing the scriptures and studying them for all these years, and what I know about the law of Moses and the priesthood and that sort of thing. This Caiaphas, right, was the high priest. Now I'm not talking about the low priest or the middle priest, you know, the, the guys who are just coming into the priesthood from the biblical priests uh, from the tribe of Levite working during the basic, you know, fundamental uh, offerings and that sort of thing. This was the high priest, the highest of the Jewish order. And he was the executioner. And God, through the law, had placed him in such an exalted position. Essentially, as a high priest, he was the connection between the community and God. So the high priest was also a political head of the community and Part of his function was to care for the administration or administrative duties um, such as collecting taxes, tithes, managing the priesthood duties, and etc. You know, things like that. So overall, the, high, the, test, the Old Testament high, high priest was the center of the religious community. And apparently, Caiaphas didn't want to relinquish that position. So, reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 9 and verse 6, the Bible tells us, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. Therefore, Caiaphas was ordered to do the following. Reading from Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, speaking to Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and he shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen murty uh, shall he be attired. These are the holy garments, therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. And Aaron shall offer his bullock for a sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. That's reading from the. Uh, straight from the book of Leviticus. This was the direct order from God to Moses, to Aaron, to be handed down for generations uh, for the high priest's office. So you see here, we see here religious leaders, and not just those in the Old Testament, but religious leaders today as well, have a tremendous responsibility that we have to live up to. We are to teach, to restore, To assist in baptism and beyond those things, and more, and most importantly, live a righteous life. That's it. But as I read the next passages in Matthew, I find these leaders void of all of the aforementioned. Matthew chapter twenty-six, verse fifty-seven, and they that laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death. Jesus saith unto them, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, he is guilty of death, Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. I don't have a very high or great opinion of them. I understand how prophecy unfolds, but nonetheless, we are held to certain standards, not just as leaders, but as Christians. Where is justice? Where are those who could testify on his behalf? Where is the burden of proof? Where is the evidence? These were trumped-up charges. It was a witch hunt. More than 300 years later, this, the Salem, uh, Salem witch trials testified to the way fear ruined lives of innocent people and the importance of due process in protecting individuals against false accusations. The Salem witch trials. And this is definitely a, a defining example of intolerance and injustices in American history. And it's sad, but these extraordinary events in nineteen or sixteen ninety two led to the deaths of many people, women, men and children. And Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin went down that same path of witch hunting. Not a lot going on there. That was a judgment. Seat failure, in my opinion. Next, Governor Pilate's pilot is up. Luke chapter twenty-three, verse one through four. Pilate was known as the Roman perfect governor. Well, we'll see if he lives up to the title. Luke twenty-three, verse one, and the whole multitude of them arose and led it, led him unto Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying. We have found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. Now so here Pilate is under pressure. He's under pressure, ladies and gentlemen. So let me ask you, what do you do when you're faced with such pressures? Do you cave into the pressure or do you meet it head on? Now the law teaches, uh, the, the law teaching was, and this is going back again to examples in the Bible that we are to follow, that the leaders were to follow. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 15, God said, Ye shall not, you shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the persons of the poor, nor honor the persons of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. Does that sound like what Jesus got? And although this was written to the children of Israel, its principles apply to all. And so, Here's the reason, ladies and gentlemen, we we have to be very careful when it comes to the what I call the old buddy system or the good old boy system in Deuteronomy chapter sixteen verse nineteen. God said, "Thou shalt not rest judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift for a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and prevent the words of the righteous." And Pilate definitely gave a blind eye here. Or at least uh, they was he was trying, you know, he was trying. He tried to keep it together, but a little bit later on, here comes more pressure bearing down. Matthew chapter twenty-seven, verse nineteen, it says, "When he, he when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him saying." Have thou nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in the dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Ravas and destroy Jesus. Pilate was caught between a rock and a hard place. And then, you know, here's the thing, if you if you guys especially the guys, if you're married, if you're a married man, you, you know. What pressure he's under right now what pressure is unfolding and he probably forgot he had to go home probably the first thing he heard when he walked through the door was um, so um, how did that Jesus thing go and he probably tried to avoid the question but when you try to do that you know what's coming next don't you because they come right back with another question so how how's Jesus? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Say that and the questions really start mounting. Uh, let it go. I I'm, I'm just I'm tired. I had a long day and I don't want to talk about it. No, they're not going to give up. They're not going to they're going to be they they're continuously coming at you, asking more and more and more questions. So you might as well tell the truth. Meanwhile, uh, at work on the throne, the bad guys are constantly putting pressure on him to condemn Jesus. So Pilate did what most of us would do. He tried to maneuver around it and shift the responsibility elsewhere. So what did he do? He sent him to hear Luke chapter 23, verse 6 and 7. When Pilate had heard heard of Galilee he asked whether the man was a Galilean and as soon as he knew the Bible says that he belonged to Herod's Jewish diction he sent him to Herod who himself also was at Jerusalem at the time so he sends him on to Herod verse 11 Herod going through the process and he's asking Jesus questions putting him under um, in the spotlight, and under interrogation, and, Herod's like, well, I can't, I can't find anything wrong either, so he puts on a raisin with a, a gorgeous robe, mocks him, the soldiers, and he sends them right back, to pilot, because Herod's like, no, 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 I'm not going to have anything to do with this, so he's sending right back, sending right back to pilot, now, Pilate still trying to whip, find, wriggle room. So he said, "You know, ye have brought this man. This is language, uh, by the way. Luke chapter twenty-three, verse fourteen and through sixteen. Ye have brought this man unto me who, as one that preventeth the people, uh, that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you and found no fault in this man touching those things whether you ye accuse him." No nor yet Herod, for I sent him to him, and lo nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I would therefore chasten him and release him. He's trying desperately to wiggle out of this his responsibility. But here's the thing, if you're a judge, if you have that type of responsibility, you can't shift that. You can't shift that responsibility to anyone else. If you're a leader, whether you're in in, in management even If you're a manager or own your own company or work for a company and you're managing uh, officer, you just can't shift those responsibilities to other people. You can't blame other people. You have to own up. You have to face the music. You have to face your responsibility. And what Pilot and Herod should have done was one thing, but what they did was another. And what I see here. Is another judgment seat failure. I see two judgment seat failures, and let me just encourage you: don't cave, don't ever cave to the pressure. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's your boss. I don't care if it's, I don't care if it's a, a judge or a law official or whoever, or your wife or your husband or, or the brethren, whomever. Don't cave to that type of pressure. Always tell the truth. Always be a righteous person. Always make the right decision. Because your life and your soul may depend upon it. And so we see here that Caiaphas failed. He he had a failed judgment and the judgment seat. The Sanhedrin, all of them who were part of the Sanhedrin court, and there were many of them, they failed. And then Pilate failed. And then Herod failed. Failed, And so the only one who was a part of that court that stood with Jesus, just one, one man, the Bible tells us in St. John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, and we'll read of this guy. If you're If you're reading along with me, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And now Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin court. And he did some honorable things. It says, And the same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, that's respect. He respected him, showed, showed him respect right there. Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do those these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. They knew. They knew. And so he was the only Righteous judge among them, and and even after uh, Jesus died, which was very commendable, the Bible tells us that Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, Um, doth our law judge a man before they he- it it hear him and know what he doeth, and so this was an argument they were having among themselves, and Nicodemus stepped in. And uh they were arguing with Nicodemus. If you go back and read the law, has anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, the Bible doesn't speak of this man, but Nicodemus knew who he was. And Nicodemus and and at the end when Jesus was crucified in John chapter nineteen after his death, it was Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, verse thirty eight and forty, that went back and claimed the body uh, of Jesus and buried him. Nicodemus was a brother, but he was a judge. And he was the only one, the only part of that Sanhedrin court that stood with Christ, the only righteous judge among them. And I wonder tonight if you would stand with him. Would you stand with Christ? And you need to know that Jesus is the last judge any of us will ever stand before. And little did these judges realize that they themselves would have to stand and appear before the very judge that they convicted of crimes, of which he was innocent. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to, to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Injustices may not be corrected during our life, but they will be at the end. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, And as it is appointed unto man once to die, even lawmakers and court officials, but after this, the judgment. And Paul finishes by saying this in our conclusion. It is a faithful saying for if we be dead with him we shall also live with him. If we suffer we shall also reign with him. If we deny him he also will deny us. If we believe not yet he abideth faithful he cannot deny himself. Do the right thing all the time. God bless you, and we'll talk to you next time.
2: You're listening to The Gospel
5: Light Radio Show. Oh, no.
3: Mess. That's why I think Yeah, we'll yeah. we will save you we'll Talking about the power of love, we will save you we'll 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 Amazing great how sweet the sound That makes a wretch like me I once was lost but now Now I'm big.
2: You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
3: Put your hand together like this. I want to let you know, with Jesus, that everything are going to be alright. Come on, help me, fellas. I said, I got a feeling everything's gonna be alright. You know oh, that. I've got a feeling Everything. everything's gonna be alright. Oh. oh, I've got a feeling Everything. everything's gonna be i got a feeling everything's gonna be alright. Help me y'all. Yeah. Oh, i yeah. got a feeling Everything. everything's gonna be alright. You know that well, I've got a feeling everything's, everything's gonna be, be alright. Gonna be alright. Gonna be alright. Gonna be, be alright. Go right. right. Help double. boy. Right. Just put your faith in God. It'll be alright. Let me say something. When you come in here this evening, with trouble written on your face, oh, you're feeling kinda of down, oh, your joy has been erased. Oh, get rid of all your worries. If you've ever you know that God has a power in His hands. He's got my In all his righteous name I know his word is true and what he says he's gonna do So when problems come my way I'll lift my hand and say Thank you Jesus Thank you Jesus Thank you Lord Come <laughs> know the button because I know what to be But you know alright right. right. No matter what the situation Everything. I know, in right. your body, Everything don't you wear Party campaign, don't you well right. right. Give it to me, oh, right. Give it to my love, I've already right. tried